Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, your remark triggers something else in my mind, and that is parents sometimes have the idea that they should make every effort to control the environment right, exactly. of their child. Right, right. And, and, and I'm sitting here going, um, does that work? I mean, yeah. is that real? even more basic, is that realistic? Well, even research shows us that yeah. that's not – it's kind of the parallel experience of – you know, never being exposed to any germs mm-hmm. so that you never get sick. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a natural inoculation. Find that place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah. Uh, and now there's always a balance that mm-hmm. has right. to be struck on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does kind of get to the heart of if I could just fully control this and keep them in an incubator, then they'll. They'll cook well, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's just not going to be how that works. They're, they're going to have to learn how to cope with what is mm-hmm. what is there and around them. Um, okay, you said there were two things. So you said the formula. What was yeah, the, what was the second thing was uh, don't base your outcomes on premature measurements. Uh, and so, in other words, it's uh, very, very possible if you just look at the statistics that you know by the time. Uh, Boys and girls are 15 years old. Mm-hmm. One quarter of them have had sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time they're 18 year old, two thirds of them have. Mm-hmm. Uh, after they're at the age of finishing the the first year of college, then three quarters of them. Mm-hmm. And and so people aren't getting married at these ages. Right, so we're, right. We're talking about the high frequency of of premarital sex. sex. Yeah. And so if your child is in that category, mm-hmm. which is a high, high number. And you're taking care of a question that was coming next. So. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't say it's all lost. It's all a total right. failure. Yeah. See, because uh, this ongoing conversation yeah. that you've had with them, all of this cultivating over time is still in the works as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. See, and with God being a redemptive God, he's going to use all that. Mm-hmm. See, so um, so don't don't judge outcomes too early mm-hmm. even when all seems lost mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 these statistics that you're talking about uh, the numbers I, I i don't know but uh i take it that the difference between kids who grow up in, in a secular environment or a non-church environment and a church environment don't vary enough to where you don't have to face this question and think about that's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to say that as gently yeah. as I could. <laughs> right on the money. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's a whole other podcast as to how that can be dealt with. But that's a, but yeah. uh, but a, but there's a sense in which um, you shouldn't feel that your child is inoculated. Simply because they're in an they're in environments oftentimes that are that are healthy um, that 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 is no automatic protection either, yeah. uh, particularly if you if you step back and let someone else do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's just good to keep in mind that some of these life uh, events and life movement it just can't be engineered and controlled as much as we would like to be that way. I think it kind of relieves our own anxiety to think that we can manage all that stuff and control it all and predict outcomes, and and it's just not that way. Uh, and uh, and it makes life a lot more interesting and unpredictable, but, but it doesn't 
mean that we give up though and i love that that message mm-hmm. that there's a there's a perseverance there's this i'm going to stick with it with my kids uh, regardless of whether the wheels are wobbling all over mm-hmm. the place on this thing now can there be a danger in too much control yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know, just uh, this would be true across the board, not just in the area of uh, uh, teenagers' sexuality, but um, you know, good parenting has that element of that. There's structure. There's there are expectations, but it's uh, it's uh, one where where kids are uh, you know, especially teenage kids and young adults have have room to be able to really manage their own lives in a safe environment. But there's a, a great deal of warmth and openness on the part of parents that can go along with that structure. So they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You don't have to be someone who controls and has tons of rules and is choking the life out of your kids and yet uh, is cold and distant. And uh, But you don't have to be someone who's emotionally warm and I'm my kid's best friend and I'm permissive and we don't have any rules. My, my thinking right. of parenting is that, that um, you really are preparing a child to to live on their own. That's right. And, and yeah. so if that's the case, the more you make decisions for them, particularly the yeah. older they get, the the worse preparation yeah. you are that's right. you are yeah. uh, you are uh, preparing them yeah. for because you're not preparing them for it. They aren't learning to think for themselves right. and wrestle with things and that kind of thing. And I think that approach, I think people kind of intuitively it, that resonates with them, but it's really hard in this area of sexuality to mm-hmm. actually implement that. Right. That, approach. Yeah. But you know when we look at the four types of parenting that there's negligence, there's permissive, that's mm. too permissive, mm-hmm. or there's authoritarian mm. or authoritative. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at teaching them about healthy sex, we don't want to be negligent mm-hmm. and we don't want to be so permissive mm. that there's no boundaries and we don't want to be authoritarian that everything's controlled, mm-hmm. uh, but authoritative of helping them to set healthy boundaries. Uh, parenting that we first set healthy boundaries so they understand healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, again, with that, uh, educating and equipping, that they're empowered to decide where they want to keep boundaries or where they want to move them, but making sure that they're making healthy decisions for themselves. And so I think of looking at it in the form of the types of parenting that's helpful. We, We want to be authoritative. Now, just to complete the loop, we've talked, we've talked about child and we talked about teenager. Um, here's a question that I think oftentimes we don't think in, perhaps enough about or much about, and that is, uh, what's the role of a parent for a child who has gotten married and who's entered into this this brave new world, if I can say it that way, and and now is engaging? What uh, I mean, do you come alongside as a as a friend, do you uh, do you engage them? Do you keep an open ear? Do you let the child um, uh, who's now grown up and is an adult um, uh, determine how that how the interaction takes? What what's the role of a parent after a child has become a, a spouse and maybe even a parent themselves? Yeah, I, I we're. In that stage right, right now, we, we <laughs> can't have, wait to uh, hear what kind of uh, <laughs> four kids, twenty-seven here. to thirty-two. So yeah, that's where we are. Uh, yeah. You know, I I think for them to feel like they're always approachable mm-hmm. for right. anything, mm-hmm. and um, that there's not going to be a rejection mm-hmm. or um, a judgment. Um, there's always going to be truth, but there's always acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for them to just have that sense that there's really not anything I, I can't bring to right. mom and dad, even at this age. Mm-hmm. 
is uh, a thing that we really want to try to cultivate and keep alive for them. And, and again, kind of that from the womb to the tomb, mm-hmm. that, that if those conversations have started early and they've remained natural conversations through right. the uh, puberty years and mm-hmm. then the adolescent years and the single adult years, then that those are conversations then that continue even in adult-to-adult relationships with our parents. Mm-hmm. And so if it's you know preparing for having children or struggling with infertility, that, that you're still that, that parent that uh, kids can come to, even adult kids, uh, that's still askable, still approachable. And you know, hopefully, uh, on the receiving end, you're still teachable. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I, I think it's an. I, I think that's an important question. It also is. It may suggest that there is the potential for, if I can say, it's a, a real payoff on having the conversation all along the way. Because if you mm-hmm. built those bridges well when the child was a child and when the child was a teenager, then uh, then you end up actually with a very mature and healthy relationship with your child when they right. grow up, and that that's. Uh, that's very valuable and very precious to have and be able to to uh, experience. Uh, you know, I, thing I would add, Daryl, is uh, Kathy and I are kind of talking about this too. At, at this stage of their being young adults, we ha- also have a new opportunity with them, and that is um, we're relating more in a peer relationship, even though we're not peers, and, and there's a greater um, opportunity to talk about our personal failures in mm-hmm. life and to um, maybe fill in the blanks a little more on our story that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have done when they were younger mm-hmm. and to uh, let them have the sense that you know every, everybody's in the struggle mm-hmm. and that it's okay to talk about that yeah. and uh, that we want to encourage and support one another and we would expect you as you know young um, marrieds and young parents to have these struggles too and that uh, you would feel free to have conversations so kind of with helping us. them create room create room to have uh, to, to get to issues perhaps before they become really super yes. serious you're making right. space for yeah, that conversation yeah, right. yeah. yeah I remember when my parents celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary and they went back to the same cabin that they had gone to on their honeymoon hmm. and I you know I was single working on my masters and my they were returning from the trip and I was talking to my mom and I said so how was it she said oh I wish I'd known 30 years ago what I know now <laughs> you know? and I, you know I just loved yeah, it that yeah. she she could be that open and honest yeah. and fun and I know so many people have this concept of oh my gosh you don't think of your parents having sex mm-hmm. but I have never thought that because mm-hmm. from early on it was always presented again as something good and healthy and wonderful. And I know I have this permission from them, but you know, my father is 82 and my mother's 77, and they still enjoy the precious gift mm-hmm. and uh, are able to, as adults, we're able to share and have that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that they feel open about that and that we can have those conversations. So. Okay. Well, uh, we've kind of walked through life with uh, with children. Let me let me shift gears here uh, and go to um, difficult issues. How do you, and re- and really this is kind of the X question. You can put any X in the in the slot that you want. Although obviously, what the X is might impact how you deal with this. But let's talk about in general 
you, you hit an area and you and, and you hit a wall. I can say it that way. Whether it, uh, it's a child who is is going to have a baby, or uh, whatever it is, and and in this this X thing happens. Um, what general mm-hmm. advice do you have uh, when uh, when uh, the child ends up not going down the path that you'd hope right. for, and there's this terrific disappointment mm-hmm. and yeah. sometimes self sense of, of failure, et cetera. Oh. What advice do you have for for people who find themselves in that situation? You know, I would go back to um, if you if you just say, "How should we even think about sex education mm-hmm. before X or after X?" Right. See. And uh, I think that can really help a lot because if we think of it first and foremost as as primarily about character development mm-hmm. uh, and not just getting the right biological information or even scriptural information, I mean, it's about internalizing that for character development. Whether it's before X or after X, you still have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that's always the the opportunity that we can say, okay, so how, how do we grow here? Mm-hmm. And given where we are right now, how do we grow? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think one of the things, if we're wanting to, to instill in our kids grace and mercy, and the grace and mercy part of God, the redemptive part of God, then the time to be able to demonstrate that to our kids is if they are going through a time that X has happened and whatever that is, and if it didn't play out the way that we had taught or instilled, then it's still an opportunity for parents to show and demonstrate grace and mercy and continue to teach that there's going to be a redemptive peace in this. And then I think coming back to what we talked about uh, a moment ago, community in the church, uh, that you reach and seek out supportive friends to say, here's what we're dealing with. Instead of staying in shame and embarrassed and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is happening to us, we can't let our Christian friends know, Mm -hmm. that it is the Christian friends, the church friends, hopefully that you turn to to say, this is what we're going through, and oh, we so need your support and your prayers, Mm -hmm. and come alongside us. And that's really when the church really gets to participate in Mm -hmm. being grace-giving and mercy-giving and redemptive. Sometimes I find, uh, Daryl, in in some of the counseling courses where we're training counselors how to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, with their clients Mm -hmm. and uh, this idea of empathy and how do you put yourself in their shoes and feel what they feel. And a lot of times students will go, well, but I don't agree with what my client is doing. Mm -hmm. So... uh, And so we use this phrase a lot of time that empathy is not the same thing as endorsement. Mm -hmm. Right. That uh, um, sometimes as Christians, I think we hold back and we uh, pull our lives back or our hearts back or that warmth or acceptance uh, and, and, and empathy. Because we don't want to be mistakenly endorsing some kind of behavior that's gone mm-hmm. out of balance. And, but I think it's good for us as Christians to know those are two completely different separate mm-hmm. operations that we can be totally empathetic and totally with people and not necessarily – that doesn't mean that we're endorsing or advocating for a certain – disaster or position or behavior and the greatest model for that is Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ came to us while we were still sinners. Right. It wasn't like he came to us because he embraced or endorsed our sin. Now that you're good, I'm going to save you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Honestly, one of my favorite scriptures is where he touches the leper mm-hmm. uh, before mm-hmm. he's healed. Mm-hmm. I mean it's uh, there's just something so powerful about that and 
uh, and as parents and as a community of Christians, we can be empathetic. We can we can take the the, the risk of joining with people who, uh, who who we love deeply and can communicate that without ever feeling like we have to compromise mm-hmm. some kind of standard or position or biblical. You know, I, I love that you bring up the leper because you've talked about Jesus and, of course, I work yeah. in the Gospels. And, sure. and one of the things that's interesting is is that the, the, the point of that, one of the points of that passage is that the presence of the potential for cleanliness is greater than the potential for the presence of uncleanliness. Interesting. Wow. And so, wow. and, and so uh, you know, whereas in the thinking, it was the most people had the other thought that, it, right. that it's unclean. The unclean stains the clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, so this is the other way around. Yep. So the opportunity is to is to touch uncleanness with cleanness, and hopefully, uh, yes. hopefully mm-hmm. engage in such a way that the direction is impacted. If you step back and do nothing, or if you simply shame, right. then there's oh. then there, there's no other place to go. That's right. And you're stuck. So it's it's an yeah. interesting a uh, picture. That's interesting yeah. Interesting. So we have that same role as parents with mm-hmm. our kids after X. Right. So right. I, I love the term that uh, Tim Keller gave me called receptive grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's about me moving towards the other. Mm-hmm. Other, what, right. whatever what it, is it is that separates me or makes me different. Mm-hmm. See, if it's a behavior or, or whatever, um, it's it's moving towards receiving in grace, not based on choices mm-hmm. of the other. Mm-hmm. See, uh, and just just as Chip was saying, it's not about endorsing. And so we get we get confused on like tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is this is like way beyond. Tolerance. Mm-hmm. This is actually at my cost. I'm moving towards someone, mm-hmm. and I'm receiving and embracing them. So it's, it's way better than tolerance. It's way right. better than yeah. tolerance. tolerance. Is like shooting yeah. too low. Yeah. This right. is way better than just tolerating yeah. somebody. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show. Holy Curiosity with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So um, I'm going to concretize this a little bit, and, and and it also introduces another scenario that I want to talk about, and that because we've talked about you know what happens if X happens, but before we get to X, we have the scenario of how do I help my child now? I'm thinking, I'm thinking particularly also of teenagers with issue of choices in a world in which signals are being sent to them that are saying things to them like. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That may not be okay in certain circumstances, but but that certainly is. And those okays are things that the that the church has said. Now wait a minute. Um, mm-hmm. May not be okay. Um, mm-hmm. So how do how do you how do you help with those 
with that tension, because that is a tension that that every child who lives um, goes through in terms of what they're hearing and what we're back to the I'm back to the sex saturated culture. How do you help a child live in a culture that is sex saturated? Go ahead, Chip. <laughs> no. Well, honestly, what I want to have happen is I'm, I want for Gary and Deb, I almost want for you guys to like let us eavesdrop in on the conversation right. that you guys have in the human sex class where you're, uh, everything is just talked about. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just right mm-hmm. down to mechanics and logistics and plumbing and uh, not in a biological sense only, but in a... What do we think about that? What does the church think about oral sex? What about anal sex? What about any of these things that uh, it's like? Where are we going to have that conversation? So I almost want to like, mm-hmm. go, okay, guys, let's. I want to hear you go for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But it's not so, my show. So again, so. having <laughs> <laughs> that was that was done so brilliantly. Yeah. That's the ball going into the post <laughs> and coming back to the guard. I can't say like, I don't go. want it. I don't want it. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so have the conversation. Uh, <laughs> okay. Too bad time's running out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, let's not but, do yeah. that. Uh, but let's but for for parents to just say, I'm I'm in on the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm just right. there, and let's keep having this conversation. But you have the conversation in a non-controlling way. That's in a context where, if you've had the conversation all along, this is the beauty of the model of having the right. conversation along. If you have the conversation all along, when those situations surface and pop up, when those yeah. teaching moments come, they come naturally. They're part of the relationship. Right. Uh, whereas if it if it ha- if that groundwork hasn't been laid, then it's a little harder to to get there. Mm. Right. Um, shows the importance of of getting uh, of working with the right frame. But of course, we're always. We're always faced with with um, with the choices uh, people face and that kind of thing. So so you just do you just dive in? I mean, you know, uh, you know. Here, here's just what's kind of coming to my mind. So I'm just going to go with this. Okay. You know, I think again, kids love for parents to be authentic and real. And if parents always come across as they have the answer and know the answer and all that, they they don't seem very approachable. But if kids make statements or there's an experience, X comes along, for a parent to just look and go, wow, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're asking that. Or this is tough, but I'm, I'm glad we're willing to deal with this together. And let's look up some stuff on this together. You know, let, let's look up scriptural backing. Let, let's look up what, what are the what are the experts saying? You know, let's go to a, a Christian sex therapy website and and see what they're talking about. Or for a parent to to even say that's that's a really good question. Let me look up some things on that, and and I want to come back to you. Or you look at if, and again age appropriate if the child's old enough. You look up some stuff, and then let's come back and talk about it. But I, I think. Kids love it when a parent goes, I don't have all the answers and I'm willing to kind of do some research on that myself. So let's work through it together is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and and taking a moment, whether it's a 
a reality show of Jersey Shores or Teen mm-hmm. Mom or whatever, instead of just coming in and going, don't watch that stuff, you know, I can't believe you're interested in that. Yeah. You know, sitting down and just processing through it morally, spiritually, uh, culturally. Mm-hmm. What, what is this saying? What's this doing? You know, what is the intrigue in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the struggle that they're dealing with? Uh, but I, I think so often, again, maybe based out of fear, you know, we just uh, parents want to maybe control too much and back away and say, "Can't watch that. That's trash." Mm-hmm. You know, can't deal with that. We're not going to talk about that in here. Well, mm-hmm. where do I talk about it then? Well, what happens is they get up and they go to their neighbor's house where they're watching, <laughs> watching the show it. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So where the permissive parents say, saying, "Hey, hey it's cool." Yeah, that's right. And it, 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 I, I, I think, I think kids live in a very. Um, I think we've given kids a very difficult environment in which to function mm-hmm. with Christian values, okay. and uh, um, and they're they're faced constantly with choices, and some of the choices. Some of the choices are not even choices they're made. It's just in your face. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I find myself watching television with my grandkids, and a commercial will come on, and I will go, I didn't ask for that, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? And boom, all of a sudden, uh, I'm in a place that I really don't want to be in, but there we are. Right. And, and, and so it's it's so almost omnipresent mm-hmm. that that. Uh, Figuring out how to how to uh, help your kids uh, work through that, I think, is a very very important thing to to uh, consider. Well, uh, I'm, uh, we may run a little over time, so don't get nervous about the time. Let me let me. Uh, there's one other question I definitely wanted to put on the table that I wanted to hear you all address, and it's this question. Um, and, and you'll like this question because it relates to your your uh, vocation, and that is, when is it time to say, "I need help." Uh, when when do you when do you say um, uh, and, and I know at one level the answer is well we always all need help we all need the support of what the church can give but what I'm asking is when do you when do you think um, you'd advise someone to say uh, you need to you need to really seek some professional counsel because this may be beyond what you're able to deal with. Uh, the short answer to that question is before you think. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and we we even see this in research for for marital therapy is most couples are coming to marital therapy seven years too late. Mm-hmm. See, so uh, but this would apply across the board for any topic. Is we we tend to um, think that to reach out for help is going to highlight my inadequacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas actually that that needs to be reframed to say mm-hmm. wow i'm i'm so adequate that i'm reaching outside of myself mm-hmm. for support i'm seeing better. the world as it really is and yeah. dealing with it realistically <laughs> yes yeah. it's actually yeah. a more mature yes healthy perspective to go i can't figure this out mm-hmm. without right. somebody helping me with it mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a, it's an evidence of of being uh, not just mature but free from yeah. The maturity yeah. Yeah. to say, "Hey, man, I, I got some gaps here. I, I need to do something about this. This would be a good thing for me to do something about this." So many people wait. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So I think so many people think counseling's for crisis. Mm-hmm. So you wait till everything's in crisis and chaos, and then you go in. Well, then you spend so many hours unpacking the crisis and chaos before you ever get to the real issue. Mm-hmm. So I really do encourage. I, I think you know when I do premarital. Uh, because I can't go buy gifts and all that, I offer for anybody I do premarital with, I say, 
any time after your marriage, I'll do one free marital session. And I recommend you come in within the first three months. But anytime, and so I've had people call from three months to three years. Mm-hmm. The ones that three years, they're already in crisis, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. The ones that come in three months afterward are not in crisis, and we're just. But ma- if you see them on the honeymoon, you know you got a good deal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> if they call on the honeymoon, they know they get it. You That's know? right. Um, so I, you know, I, I think for parents and and kids that are struggling, that if there's tension building up, then let let's just say let's go in and get a a, a third party uh, input here, and that we can just sit and process this uh, through. And if it's a couple, again, if if there's just some struggle, let let's go in this before it com- becomes a crisis. Um, what we're finding with couples who struggle with vaginismus, where consummation can't take place, mm-hmm. then they end up, you know, usually five years before they're in therapy. Mm-hmm. And you can only imagine the um, added problems oh, gosh, that get the, piled on top of the that. The tension and the struggle and the fear of. Of uh, feeling inadequate on both parties. Yeah, I'm never going to have a child. You know, yeah. I'm not going to have a child. We're not yeah. even going to be able to have the intimacy. What's wrong yeah. with me? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, and if if the, if they'll come in in the beginning, oh, the prognosis of working through that is so positive. Do you guys notice in your work where you're doing a lot of professional work uh, around uh, sexual issues? Do you notice that uh, maybe that initial question like that or initial ask for help is maybe not you guys? But it's maybe more like a primary care physician or uh, their OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, it's safer there to mm-hmm. kind of say, hey, I've got maybe, or I'm curious. And, and then it ends up being a referral or, right. or encouragement even from the medical profession that mm-hmm. says, hey, you guys need some support or mm-hmm. you need some help or we need to do some reparative relational stuff, not just medication or physical things right yeah and sometimes from pastors and yeah. and youth pastors yeah. Yeah. that uh, they'll hear and say hmm. here's someone mm-hmm. we'd like to refer yeah, you to yeah and, and i know we stress in our pastoral care with pastors you know that they even times oftentimes they may be the first stop but they need right. to develop the ability to really recognize when they're out of their own league and really need to draw on someone who is able to who's trained to to deal with what it is that they're facing. Um, A key thing in that first stop, though, Daryl, is that whether it's a pastor, physician, or or even a lay person in the church, uh, research shows how important it is for that first stop person Mm -hmm. to feel very comfortable Mm -hmm. inviting sexual questions Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, otherwise People are there, but then they decide not to talk about it because right. the they handle it like the church handles the topic. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. right. <laughs> oh, just don't do it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. so I got I got your message. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this has been very, very helpful. I, I, I'm going to let you all have one more round of of what we're going to do. We focused on sexuality in the context of the family. I would like at some point in the future to come back mm-hmm. because I think the second obvious topic that's on the table is sexuality in the context of marriage, just the the, mm-hmm. the spouses themselves, you know, without the uh, added factor of how we deal with this in the context of family and children. And, and also a very, very obviously important topic. And uh, and so I so I'm 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 doing this publicly. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm, I'm punching my card and saying, please, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, will you come back and consider that? But before we do that, let, I would like for each of you to say, you, you've heard the conversation that we've had now for about an hour. Uh, is, is there anything that we haven't said that you think we should have said, or is there anything you'd like to highlight as you summarize what mm. it is that we've talked about? Okay. 
Well, one of the things that we probably haven't talked about that would maybe be one of the big X's uh-huh. is if teens come home or single adults come home and they're telling their parents they think they're gay yes. or homosexual. That's right. And I, I think that is something that um, we're, we're really going to have to face and deal with and helping parents to not have the shock factor or the, oh my gosh, you're kicked out of the house and you can't live here anymore response of, of learning how to walk through that uh, loving well and extending grace and be, again being able to have that conversation on the table to be able to talk through it and not let fear keep parents from talking to their kids about it and then that would probably be one of the issues that I think counseling would be a great just when it's first brought out mm-hmm. that counseling be a part of it in the very beginning that you don't even blink. You say, I, the, I, "This is going to this is going to require support and help." Yes, yeah. and and I can say I am so thankful. I've had the privilege of working with so many parents who have wanted that option for their kids, mm-hmm. and some of it has come certainly. I'm going to bring my kid. You need to fix them. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's been I don't know how to deal with this, and we want them to have the best support. And I have just. Love that, and, and the the kids and the young adults have, I think, really have so appreciated their their parent support. And oftentimes, the scenario when that does happen is that you're going to want to interact with both the child and the parents, and not just the child. <laughs> I'm yes. sending you to them, you right. know. Yeah, it's a very important part of the understanding what's involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know the the other thing I would add is the, kind of the the message that we've been trying to. Uh, really challenge and, and and champion for parents to kind of take ownership and to take the initiative with talking with their kids about it. I I think we've kind of said this, but I would really uh, implore uh, pastors to do the same sort of thing, because in the same way that a, a parent would invite that conversation with their kids, uh, pastors can be doing that from the pulpit and lots mm-hmm. of other ways to, to take the initiative and to give that uh, that green light for that conversation to be had in mm-hmm. even in the context of the broader community and uh, uh, so how that gets played out I know it'll be different you know from congregation to congregation and I know some churches are really have taken that step so, yeah really some good. churches do it other churches say well we're getting ready to talk about X and so uh-huh. everyone their age yeah. Why is yeah. you know yeah. we, we you know you're headed somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, modeling that good conversation right. even in the in the, the local community is uh, yeah that, that actually is 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 a good uh, is a good thing to think about alongside in terms of how the church comes alongside the families and, yep. and supports them in creating this conversational yep. environment right. so that it's not just between the the parent and the mm-hmm. and the kid but there's a there's a wider Christian world in which they're seeing this conversation play itself out with many points of potential yep. contact yep. as opposed right. to just the parents, yep. which actually can be reinforcing, hopefully, right. um, in terms of how it works itself out. Gary? You know, as I think about what we've talked about today, uh, I would say my top three takeaways from mm-hmm. our conversation would be, uh, first and foremost, in the family, sex education is about character mm-hmm. formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, um, we want to build this big picture view of celebrate it and don't worship it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then the third thing would be 
that uh, in a true celebration of it, it it's going to enhance my worship of God. Mm-hmm. It, it points me back to something bigger than myself. You know, and, and, and I'm glad we've come and landed here because we started here in one sense and then we went through all the nitty gritty and, and we've come back to the point that there is, there is something being modeled about intimacy, about communication about the preciousness of what's going on and and I my own sense is is that uh, when when sexuality is viewed as something precious and special that works against the idea of making it uh, if I can say it common and cheap yep. mm-hmm. and um, uh, and one of the things that the that I think is confusing about what the way culture handles sex is they say it's wonderful and it's for everybody, you know, in, 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 in any form and in any expression. And then what you lose is the is the preciousness of it and the uniqueness of what it is. It's it was designed to be. And so we take a good thing and we end up um, distorting it. And and in, and in the distortion, we actually it isn't that. The distortion doesn't lead to a participation. The distortion leads to a loss. Mm-hmm. It leads to a loss of something and a devaluing yeah. that actually um, the culture claims it may elevate sex, but in fact it's a devaluing of yeah. it and mm-hmm. very, very important uh, element of it. Well, I want to thank you all for for this first conversation that we've had on this topic. and. Uh, uh, I've I've enjoyed it and, and learned a lot in listening, and my hope is is that those of us who've been eavesdropping on our table conversation about sex uh, feel like they've benefited as well. We appreciate your being a part of the table and our conversation of the connection between God and culture, in this case, the discussion between God and culture in the area of sexuality, and we hope that it's been beneficial to you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at Beyond Ordinary Women dot org.